It's July 21st, 2019. We've seen the return of Nas, Pac-Man, and the Lion King. Vince McMahon signs the biggest black man in all the land. Going to talk about my least favorite character on the TV show Family Matters. What do the Cleveland Cavaliers have in common with the show Sanford and Son? In Holy Toledo, Batman, hater appreciation for a security guard in the great state? Ohio! Across the country and around the world, across the street and around the corner, this is Over the Culture. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Over the Culture Podcast, where you get to hear my spin on things I like, like music, sports, sports entertainment, movies, TV shows, and your mother. Tell her you love her. Look her in the eyes and say it like you mean it. Give her a kiss. All right, now go back to your room. You also get to hear about things I do not like, like Snooty McBooty cheerleaders and top flight security all blarred mall cops who feel empowered by their toy store badges. Welcome. I am your bastard of ceremonies, Reefer Sutherland, the one gig kid, whatever you call me, just don't call me collect, Steve G. And this is Over the Culture. On Friday, Nas released his latest album, The Lost Tapes 2. It's a compilation of his unreleased tracks from the last four studio albums. Hip Hop is Dead, released in 2006. Untitled, released in 2008. Life is Good, 2012. And Nasir, released last year. It includes production from producers such as RZA, Swiss Beats, Pharrell Williams, Kanye West, No ID, Pete Rock, The Alchemist, among others. The initial release was supposed to be December of last year, but it was further delayed by Def Jam, whom Nas accused of mishandling the project and its budget in a personal email sent to the label executives. Reports of the project's delay incited fans to create an online petition in December asking for Def Jam to release the album. I feel like if you're a Nas fan, you're going to enjoy the album. I enjoyed the album, but I know that Jay-Z purists are going to come out of the woodwork and hate just for the sake of hating. Um, I love Jay-Z's music, but I love Nas's music as well. And because we live in this dichotomy where you have to pick either or, Democrat, Republican, Kobe, LeBron, you can't you can't be a fan of both. Um, I, I don't know. It sucks that we have to be like that. Maybe it's it's just something that we got indoctrinated into us. But he has a couple good songs that I really like. Jero of Rap, uh, which is using a Al Jero sample produced by Charlie Black. And also Highly Favored produced by RZA. It's, it's Nas reinventing himself, uh, rediscovering his passion for hip hop. I mean, it, it's Nas with some of the best producers of our time. You know, the best producers ever in hip hop. So, you know, not just for Nas fans, but if you're a fan of good hip hop, I I think you should check it out. You know, he's one of the kings of rap and, you know, Jay-Z can be a king and Nas can be a king. You know, that is possible, people. Let's get our head out of our asses, please. Both can be great at the same time. Being in their own lane. Did you know that was possible? You can be a fan of LeBron and you can be a fan of Kobe at the same time. And you can be a fan of Jordan at the same time. Did you know that? You can like Death Row music and Bad Boy music. Did you know that? But I digress. Lost Tapes 2. It's a great listen. But you don't have to take my word for it. 
I also got to see The Lion King the other day, and once again, it's great in its own right. Uh, immediately, it's going to be compared to the original, to the cartoon, and the cartoon is one of the greatest, uh, and I mean, one of the few Disney movies that I can tolerate, but the remake was great because the voice acting was good, the CGI, you know, what they did with that, you know, it was spectacular, and I really liked Chiwetel Ejiofor's version of Scar. Jeremy Irons was the voice of the Scar in the cartoon version, and he was great as well. But I, I really liked Chiwetel Ejiofor's version in the remake because it was gritty. He brought a certain evilness, fierceness to his character. And speaking of fierce, you know, of course, Beyonce, she was Nala in the remake. And, you know, her and Donald Glover, who did uh, Simba, they, they held it down with their, their song scores. And of course, you know, James Earl Jones, they brought him back. That was good to see, reprising his role as Mufasa. James Earl Jones, one of the greatest voice actors ever, you know. Um, of course, he was the dad in Coming to America, and he was the voice for Darth Vader for all those years. So yeah, it, it was good seeing him back. Eric Andre and Keegan-Michael Peel, they played the hyenas. They were hilarious. Seth Rogen, he was Pumbaa. And overall, I really didn't mind this remake. Some of them are, aren't so great, but really this is just a way of Disney trying to make more money and reintroducing their, their classic movies to the newer generation. And if this movie was just a standalone, if you had nothing to compare it to, if there was no cartoon that came before it, I, th I think that this would be a classic, you know, because the story is already great itself. And when you have good voice actors who are talented and you have a, a good story, good CGI animation, um, what more do you need, you know? But the main thing that stood out immediately was the look of Scar. You know, he sounded great, but he just looked like he was on that stuff. Like this was a lion on meth, like he was smoking the pipe. I just couldn't get over that. Like it was apparent, like it was the first thing I noticed when he appeared on screen. Like, damn, Scar is messing with that shit. Crack is whack. Don't do drugs, kids. Because you'll end up throwing your brother over a cliff and then trying to kill the rest of his family. Running with a pack of hyenas. Lion King, go check it out. Last night, boxing legend Manny Pacquiao proved that he could still get it in at the age of 40 by defeating Keith Thurman, a man 10 years his junior, by split decision to take his undefeated record and welterweight world title before over 14,000 on Saturday night at the raucous MGM Grand Garden Arena. Man, it, it's good seeing Pac-Man back. How can you not like Pac-Man? He's such a humble dude. You know, he, at the end of the fight, he's like, hey, I really love the fans. Thank you all for coming out and watching me, you know, do my thing. Yeah, Pac-Man, keep rocking. In the NBA news, free agent Kyle Korver has agreed to a one-year, $2.6 million deal with the Milwaukee Bucks. It came down to a decision between the Bucks and the Philadelphia 76ers, but his history and relationship with coach Mike Budenhoser played a significant role in his ultimate choice. The 38-year-old Korver played three-plus seasons under Budenhoser in Atlanta, 
and was an all-star there in 2015. The most pursued player left on the market, Korver has been one of the most accurate three-point shooters of his generation, shooting 43% in his 16-year NBA career and leading the league in three-point accuracy four times. He has played in 135 career playoff games. So is it safe to say the Bucks are going to the finals now or hold off on it? Um, I mean, Kawhi. The last man of cornrows is gone. You know, he's not in the Eastern Conference anymore. So, I mean, I, I guess what well, we have Philadelphia 76ers. The Bucks made it close last year and they lost Malcolm Brogdon, but they also picked up Wesley Matthews and they just got Korver. Two really good shooters from the art, which is what they needed. Mike Budenholzer, he's a good coach and they have a young team. So the Bucks should be interesting to watch again next season. Hey, wrestling nerds, you excited for tomorrow's big event? Tomorrow, Monday Night Raw is gonna have a reunion mixing the wrestlers of the past with the present. And here's a list of the people they have slated to appear tomorrow. Steve Austin, Hulk Hogan, Ric Flair, Shawn Michaels, Razor Ramon, Kevin Nash, Kurt Angle, Sergeant Slaughter, Christian, Ted DiBiase, Eric Bischoff, The Boogeyman, Jimmy Hart, The Hurricane, Santino Morella, Jerry Lawler, Devon Dudley, Booker T, X-Pac, Mark Henry, Mick Foley, Pat Patterson, Gerald Briscoe, Lillian Garcia, Alundra Blaze, Rikishi, Ron Simmons, The Godfather, Road Dog, Sid, The Triple H, and Candace Michelle, Jonathan Coachman, and there's a couple others left out. I'm going to be checking it out mainly because Stone Cold, Ric Flair, and Hulk Hogan are going to be in it. Bret Hart declined. Uh, he didn't disclose why. Uh, I'm guessing maybe because it's in Tampa, Florida, or, or probably because the last time he was on WWE, he got jumped by uh, some rando in the crowd. Who knows? But he's Bret Hart, and maybe he's just above this bullshit. All this really is, is a, a ratings reach for Vince because Monday Night Raw has been tanking for probably about the last several months or so. But now he has Paul Heyman, one of the greatest wrestling minds ever, as the executive producer. And I'm looking forward to what he's going to do with it going forward. And in all actuality, it might actually be a good show when you have that much talent and some legend wrestlers. Um, and then, of course, with Paul Heyman behind the board, uh, he should make it at least a solid show, but we'll see. And also, WWE may have found its next big thing. Jordan Amagbian, a former Division I basketball player, made his debut with the company at an NXT house show in Lakeland, Florida on Thursday night. The 7'3 Amagbian defeated the team of Scott Parker and Shane Matthews in a two-on-one handicap match. He made quick work of the much smaller duo thanks to some powerful body slams. Amagbian was managed in the match by Malcolm Bivens, formerly known as Stokely Hathaway, who has been serving as a cornerman for several NXT stars at live events since being signed by WWE in March. Amagbian has spent the past several months at the Performance Center learning how to become a wrestler. He was born in Lagos, Nigeria, and went to high school in Virginia. He began his college basketball career at the University of Southern Florida, where he scored 19 points in 33 games during limited action over two seasons. 
He transferred to Morgan State as a graduate student to play his final college season, recording four points and eight rebounds in 10 games during the 2014-15 season. Now, Amogbian won't be the biggest wrestler that the company's ever seen. That still is uh, held by Giant Gonzalez, who was about 7'6", 7'7". But this guy's 7'3". He's definitely the biggest black man. He's bigger, he's blacker, he's better. And hopefully Vince and the powers that be know what to do with him because he definitely has the look. He, he's towering over just about everybody, including The Undertaker and even The Giant. Or The Big Show, I guess you could say now. But Amogbian, um, and maybe if they, they get him with the right manager, because traditionally big guys aren't good mic workers. So if you, you get him with the right manager, that can, you know, elevate his status, you know, but we got to see. We love Roll Call, y'all. Boogie Down Productions, Rob Bass, Dana Day, Marley Marl, Ola Tucci, Chuck D, Ray Charles, EPMD, EU, Alberta Hunter, Run DMC, Stetson Sonic, Sugar Bear, John Coltrane, Big Daddy K, Salt and Pepper, Luther Vandross, McCoy Tyner, Biz Marquis, New Edition, Otis Redding, Anita Baker, Thelonious Monk, Marcus Miller, Bradford Marcellus, James Brown, Wayne Shorter, Tracy Chapman, Miles Davis, Force MDs, Oliver Nelson, Fred Wesley, Maceo, Janet Jackson, Louis Armstrong, Duke Ellington, Jimmy Jam, Terry Lewis, George Clinton, Count Basie, M. Tumay, Stevie Wonder, Bobby McFerrin, Dexter Gordon, Sam Cooke, Parliament Funkadelic, Al Jarreau, Teddy Pendergrass, Joe Williams, Wynn Marcellus, Phyllis Hyman, Sade, Sarah Vaughn, Roland Kirk, Keith Sweat, Kumo D, Prince, Ella Fitzgerald, Diane Reeves, Aretha Franklin, Bob Marley, Bessie Smith, Whitney Houston, Dion Warwick, Steel Pulse, Little Richard, Mahalia Jackson, Jackie Wilson, Cannonball, and Nat Adderley, Quincy Jones, Marvin Gaye, Charles Mingus, and Marion Williams. We want to thank you all for making our lives just a little brighter here on We Love Radio. Do the right thing, 30th anniversary. Today in sports history, in 1973, Hank Aaron hits Ken Brett's fastball for his 700th home run. In 1975, Billy Martin is fired as Texas Rangers manager. In 1989, Iron Mike Tyson knocks out Carl the Truth Williams in 1 minute and 33 seconds defending his heavyweight boxing title. And in 1996, Wayne Gretzky signs a two-year deal with the New York Rangers. And that was my half-assed sports report. So I was a TGIF kid back in the day, like most of the kids in my generation. I couldn't wait for Friday nights so I could remember all those lines from those family sitcoms so I can tell them to my friends on Monday. It had the classics, Full House, Perfect Strangers, Boy Meets World, Hanging with Mr. Cooper, Mr. Belvedere, and of course, Family Matters. It introduced us to one of my favorite characters of all time, Steve Urkel, who made it cool to be a nerd. He represented for the black nerds back in the day. The show started off being about the family, 
in the matters of the family, hence the name Family Matters. But when Steve appeared, he took over the show, and the central theme of the show ended up becoming his love for a punk ass named Laura Winslow. And I do not like her. You want to know why she grinds my gears? Laura the douchebag. She's the middle sister of a family. Laura the douchebag. She's the middle kid of the family. Laura the douchebag. The sis of Eddie. The sis of Judy. The big cousin of Richie. Laura the douchebag. She's the biggest bitch of the family. I'm Laura Winslow. I'm the special middle child. If you say bad things about me, my brother Eddie beat you up. I'm better than you because I have a mom and a dad. And I live in a two-story house on the good side of Chicago. My dad's a cop. My aunt owns a restaurant. I'm the head cheerleader. Yeah, more like the forehead cheerleader. All the stuck-up girls in the 90s had bigger foreheads. Facts. Yeah, you're so vain, Laura Winslow. It's always about you, isn't it? You even failed to appreciate how Steve Urkel dropped everything he was doing just to drive you from Chicago to Cincinnati to your funky cheerleader competition. Only because you overslept and missed the bus. The whole ride there, he was trying to bring positive energy to the situation, but no. You had to be a negative Nancy the whole time. I don't like this music. You're driving too slow. Drive faster. And you made the man mess his car up. You had to share a ratty motel room because of it. And you wanted Steve to sleep on the floor? The fuck wrong with you? You was tripping, tripping. I'm glad Steve put his foot down and you finally let him share the bed. The guy volunteered to drive you from Chicago to Cincinnati. That's almost a five-hour drive. And he's supposed to sleep on the floor? Who the hell are you? Who raised you? Oh, that's right. You're Laura Winslow. I'm planning to go to Harvard School of Law. And you made fun of your friend Maxine because she wanted to go to beauty school instead. Because I guess picking up a trade is just beneath you, Ivy League princess. Max was your rider, your best friend. She'd cut a bitch for you. But oh no, that's not good enough for Miss Perfect. I'm better than everyone. I get straight A's and everything but an effing personality, an effing judgment of character. You're so smart, but you consistently chose con artist characters for boyfriends. They cheat on you, spread rumors about you, and were typically self-centered, just like you. And the whole time, Steve's rolling out the red carpet for Laura, taking rejection after rejection, your mean words that cut through bone, shatter souls. He brought you flowers, presented himself to you in an obnoxious box of chocolate costume for you, fell off the roof for you, fell out of a tree, Invented a machine that turned him into another person just so he could have a better chance of getting with you? He was devoted. Made sacrifices. Cheated death on multiple occasions just for you. And it meant nothing to you because you're not a good person, Laura Winslow. You'd insult him to his face. Tell him to stay out of your life forever. He even helped you get with your crush, Ted Karen. Ooh, Ted Karen. He's popular. Yeah. And then he dumped you for another girl because you're not a good person, Laura. Urkel even made an arrangement to have Johnny freaking Gill come to your punk ass house and serenade you. 
in your living room. But was that good enough for Mr. Diddy Titty? Of course not. Clearly you weren't in the Steve and I get it. He annoyed you and he ran up Carl and Harriet's homeowner's insurance premium. You're free to pick and choose who you want to date. But the kicker, the kicker, Laura Winslow, is that when Steve finally finds a girl who really appreciates him for who he is, when he found someone who shared the same interest in polka music, cheese, and all that other nerdy shit you hated, it wasn't until then Steve started dating Myra Monkhouse that you started feeling some type of way. Steve wasn't coming around as much, wasn't returning your phone calls. Because Steve is living his best life with his new lady friend Myra, and he didn't have to invent a machine that changed him into another person, he's happy now, he's content, and there's only room for two in the Iceta. That's what Iceta. And by the way, what the fuck is a Stefan Urkel? Steve without glasses and clothing that fits. And if you're so smart, Laura Winslow, why couldn't you realize that all you had to do was ask him to wear contacts and take him to the mall? But that's not how you operate. You want the guys who are popping right now. You want the guys who are popular right now. And right now, you're lonely on the couch waiting for Steve to bust through that door, professing his love for you. But you're despicable, Laura Winslow. You belittled Steve for four seasons while he worshiped the ground you walked on. He starts finding his groove, and it's then that you had to get your dirty paws all on him, like the Winslow winch you are. And when your precious Stefan decided to be a model in France, leaving you butthurt in the States, Steve Urkel ultimately makes the boneheaded decision of picking you over Myra? Myra worshiped that man's dirty draws while you were in love with an android that Steve created. And even though you never appreciated him before he had a girlfriend, Steve proposed to you and you got engaged. The series ended before the wedding happened, and good, because I wouldn't have been in attendance. Because you, Laura Winslow, didn't deserve Steve Urkel's hand in marriage. You wasn't with him shooting in the gym. Steve Urkel might have been infatuated with you, but Steve G abhors you. So Laura Winslow, you're the worst. Laura the douchebag She's the middle sister of a family Laura the douchebag She's the middle kid of the family Laura the douchebag The sis of Eddie The sis of Judy The big cousin of Richie Laura the douchebag She's the biggest bitch of the family. When we come back, we're going to go across the lines with two popular former players of the Cleveland Cavaliers and two popular characters of the show Sanford and Son. We'll be black after these messages. Today's birthdays. Happy birthday to All-Star Center and Houston native DeAndre Jordan. He turns 31. Former Houston Rocket Von Wafer turns 34. Former WNBA player Tamika Catchings, whose decorated career includes a WNBA championship, an MVP, a Finals MVP, five Defensive Player of the Year awards, four Olympic gold medals, as well as a Rookie of the Year, all with the Indiana Fever. The future Hall of Famer turns 40. Former Texans quarterback David Carr is 40 as well. Jamaican singer, songwriter, producer, and son of the music legend Bob Marley, Damian Marley, turns 41. 
Josh Hartnett turns 41. Godfrey, the hilarious comedian actor, he's 50 today. Wrestler and mixed martial artist Giant Silva turns 56. Comedian and actor John Lovitz turns 62. Singer and songwriter Yusuf Islam, formerly known as Cat Stevens, turns 71. And Norman Jewison, the Canadian film director, producer, and actor who directed In the Heat of the Night, A Soldier Story, and The Hurricane, starring Denzel Washington, turns 93. Happy birthday, guys. Are you tired of being called the beanpole? Are you mad at your memories? Have they been mistaken for mosquito bites? Does your push-up bra need a push-up bra? Too embarrassed to wear a bikini at the beach because everyone will think you're a boy in drag? To that I say, OBG, why are you allowing yourself to suffer when the Itty Bitty Titty Committee is here to help you? Itty Bitty Titty Committee. IBTC is an outreach program dedicated to providing counseling and therapy sessions for women who weren't gifted with guns. For those who really want implants but can't afford them at the moment, in the meantime, we'll boost your confidence with affirmation training, gymnastic therapy, and group hugs. Micromastia is no laughing matter. It has become one of the leading factors of stress for women aged 25 to 40 in the last eight days. Stress can lead to depression, and as we know, depression can get the breast of us. You're not the only one with lowercase a cups. There's a whole community out there ready and available to help you in your time of need. Call 1-800-419-IBTC. What happens when you move all the black and brown people out of the neighborhood and replace them with urban professionally minded 30-something Caucasians? What's up, bruh? Do you vape? Tight, homie. Want to join my fantasy league? From the producers of Job Discrimination Disco, Fox presents a new reality show that's guaranteed to keep the property value rising. Gentrification, this fall on Fox. And a special mention to those no longer with us. This past week, we lost professional boxer Pernell Whitaker Sr. Born January 2nd, 1964, he was a four-weight world champion, having won titles at lightweight, light welterweight, welterweight, and light middleweight division. In 1989, Whitaker was named Fighter of the Year by The Ring Magazine and the Boxing Writers Association of America. From 1993 to 1997, The Ring ranked him as the best active boxer in the world, pound for pound. Before Roy Jones Jr., before Money Mayweather, we had Pernell Whitaker. He currently holds the longest unified lightweight championship ring in boxing history at six title defenses. Whitaker is generally regarded as one of the greatest defensive boxers of all time. And on July 14, 2019, Whitaker was crossing the street in Virginia Beach at the intersection of Northampton Boulevard and Baker Road when he was struck and killed by a vehicle. He was 55. And Don Knotts, the famous American actor, screenwriter, and voice actor, was born July 21st, 1924. Famous for his roles as Sheriff Barney Fife on The Andy Griffith Show and Mr. Furley on Three's Company. His career spans over 50 years. And on February 24th, 2006, he died at the age of 81 due to complications of pneumonia related to lung cancer. And Janet Reno, 
born July 21, 1938, was an American lawyer and the first woman to serve as Attorney General in U.S. history. She died from Parkinson's disease on November 7, 2016. And Robin Williams, born July 21, 1951, is one of the greatest comedic actors, not just of his time, but of all time. Hailing from Chicago, he credits his mother, Lori, as an early influence on his humor, as he always tried to make her laugh to gain attention. Primarily a quiet kid, he would overcome his shyness when he joined his high school's drama department. When he graduated in 1969, he was voted most likely not to succeed and funniest by his classmates. After leaving the acclaimed Performing Arts School of Juilliard in 1976, Williams would soon start his career in stand-up comedy, where he would make a name for himself on the Los Angeles circuit. Starring roles in television and film would later follow. Over the course of his career, he would exhibit his wide range of emotions, from upbeat comedies such as Mrs. Doubtfire, Aladdin, Club Paradise, to more serious projects like Goodwill Hunting, Dead Poet Society, and One Hour Photo, Robin Williams would be recognized not only as a great comedian, but as one of the greatest overall performers the entertainment industry has ever seen. I first knew about Robin Williams watching reruns of Mork and Mindy back in the day. He was Mork, the charismatic extraterrestrial from the planet Ork, Nanu Nanu. The show made Williams a superstar. He was quirky, wacky, zany, and in the public eye that would become his reputation. Always the funny guy, the guy that's always making people laugh, putting smiles on people's faces over the years. But it's been said that some of the greatest comedic minds are some of the saddest, most tortured souls in the world. And in August of 2014, the demons that Williams battled and kept from the public eye came to light. In his final years, Robin Williams dealt with severe alcohol abuse, and even worse, the onset of Parkinson's, adding to an already existing severe depression. The increasing levels of paranoia, insomnia, stress, and memory loss finally got the best of him, and on August 11, 2014, Williams committed suicide in his Paradise K, California home by asphyxia due to hanging, leaving the rest of the world in shock. He will forever be known as one of the greatest entertainers ever, one of the funniest entertainers ever. But just like his wide-ranging body of work, in roles that made us laugh, to roles that brought out the waterworks, his untimely death would evoke sadness in those he once made so happy. Thank you for the memories. This past week, my Cleveland Cavaliers waived shooting guard J.R. Smith. He joined the team in January of 2015 as part of a three-team trade along with Amon Shumpert. Before that, JR spent three years with the New York Knicks, where he'd win the Sixth Man of the Year Award in the 2012-2013 season. During his five seasons in Cleveland, Smith was a key contributor for the team, starting in most of the games he played. And on June 19, 2016, he contributed 12 points in Game 7 of the NBA Finals, as the Cleveland Cavaliers defeated the Golden State Warriors, bringing the city its first championship since 1964. Smith, or as his fans refer to him, J.R. Swish, has yet to be picked up by a team. He was first drafted by the New Orleans Hornets with the 18th pick in the 2004 NBA Draft. He made his NBA debut on November 3, 2004. Now let's rewind back to November 3, 1972, 32 years prior. The show Sanford and Son is in its second season, airing the episode Have Gun, Will Sell, 
featuring father and son Fred and Lamont Sanford and making his debut as Lamont's best friend, his main man, Rollo Lawson. And that leads us to Across the Lines, dummy. He would step across the line. Habitually. He's a habitual line stepper. Line stepper. In this episode, Lamont and Rollo go out on the town chasing the women of Watts, California, leaving Fred by himself at the house. Fred passes out on the couch in the living room with the door unlocked. A burglar sneaks in and proceeds to take Fred's coveted television in one of the stealthiest burglaries in Watts history. Before he makes his clean getaway, Rollo and Lamont return. So the burglar dashes out but leaves the TV behind. Rollo and the Sanfords discover that the burglar also left behind his gun. Lamont wants to keep it, but Fred wants to turn it into the police. Rollo tells Fred that if he does that, they'll charge him with every shooting since Lincoln, Jack. So Rollo suggests that they pawn it in instead, because it's a Smith & Wesson snub nose 38 blue steel, wood grain handle. But because of Rollo's checkered past with the law, it's probably not the best idea for him to bring the gun in, so he and Lamont talk Fred into doing it instead. After a misunderstanding with the pawn shop clerk, the police are alerted for an armed robbery. Officers Smitty and Swanee pat the three down before they realize that it's Fred, Lamont, and Rollo. They clear everything up with the cops, but the gun has to be confiscated for evidence, taking away their chances of making a profit. Fred and Lamont return home, realizing that their home is burglarized once again. While they were out, the burglar returned looking for his gun and takes the TV, camera, numerous pairs of glasses, the radio, the rifle, silverware, china, and Fred's long draws leaving Fred to have his 11th big one on his way to see Elizabeth. Rollo Lawson, also known as Rita Lawson's boy, is Lamont Sanford's right-hand man, his ace, his ride-or-die homie. And Fred never understands why. He looks at Rollo as a bad influence on his son, always leading him astray, referring to them both as Rollo and Follow. Fred doesn't like Rollo at all, constantly reminding him of his criminal history, jailbird this, klepto that, but Rollo just takes it all in stride, cool, calm, and collected with a smile. But Lamont vouches for his buddy every time. Just about every time. He's able to see past Rollo's criminal background, valuing his loyalty as a friend, his sense of style, his fun personality, and always has ladies on deck. According to the female singing trio, The Three Degrees that he managed, he is Rollo Lawson, the greatest manager to grace the planet, in whose hands we place our lives, our careers, our fortunes, we will never forsake his teachings for silver or gold. He knows what's best for us. By the time Earl Joseph Smith III, better known as JR, joined the Cavs in 2015, he had, well, quite the reputation for himself. Byron Scott, who coached Smith the first two seasons of his career, said JR was his most difficult coaching project in his coaching career claiming he was defiant, young, and bullheaded. He served a 10-game suspension his first season in Denver due to his involvement in a brawl between the Nuggets and the Knicks on December 16, 2006. His coach at that time, George Carl, would often get into it with JR on account of his poor shot selections and the decisions he made on court at times. And while with the Knicks, he missed the first five games of the 2013 season for violating the league's anti-drug policy. And before that, he was suspended for seven games in 2009 for his role in a crash that killed his best friend in his car, resulting in a 30-day prison sentence. Not to mention he was banned in Game 4 of a Knicks-Celtics playoff series 
after he elbowed Jason Terry. The Knicks had been shopping JR and Amon Shumpert to other teams for some time before finally reaching an agreement in a three-team trade with Cleveland and Oklahoma City, which sent them to the Cavs. That prior offseason, LeBron James returned to Cleveland with all-star forward Kevin Love to shortly follow, joining rising star point guard Kyrie Irving. Now immediate championship contenders, the Cavs were in the market for solid role players to come off the bench, but they were iffy on picking up Smith, not knowing what to expect considering his pass. It was the co-sign from LeBron himself that greenlighted the deal. Get him here and I'll take care of it, he said. JR's checkered pass in the league didn't matter to LeBron. He valued his confidence and his quick release jump shot, seeing Smith as the type of player he'd love to play with. He didn't care what everyone thought because he'd known JR since before their NBA days. Their time spent together as teammates for the Cavaliers garnered somewhat of a brotherhood. They would become great friends, attending multiple events together, sometimes bringing their families. Game 7 of the 2016 World Series featuring the Cleveland Indians and the Chicago Cubs, the Hillary Clinton rally in Cleveland, the Ohio State-Michigan game, and even J.R. Smith's Thanksgiving turkey drive were just some of the events they attended together, as LeBron wanted to keep a close tab on his friend, making sure he doesn't backslide. J.R. never left LeBron's sights. They were almost inseparable. And after they won the championship in 2016, it was LeBron's urging of Cavs management that pressed them to re-sign Smith to a four-year, $57 million deal. JR had become LeBron's right-hand man, and LeBron wanted to look out for his friend. Plus, JR was starting to become the player LeBron knew he could be. And then it happened. On May 31st, 2018, the Cleveland Cavaliers are playing the Golden State Warriors in Game 1 of the NBA Finals for the fourth year in a row. With the score tied at 107 apiece and five seconds left, J.R. Smith gets the rebound off George Hill's missed free throw. But instead of putting the shot back or passing it to a teammate who could possibly win the game or even calling a timeout, he dribbles away from the hoop towards half court, running the clock out only for the Warriors to regroup and win the game in overtime, 124 to 114. You big dummy. James, who scored 51 points that night, showed his disappointment as the regulation buzzard sounded. They were in a position to take the first game of the finals on the road, only for their legs to be sweeped from underneath them by one of their own. The same man LeBron believed in despite the naysayers, the same man who received a second chance in his career after cultivating an undesirable reputation of making poor decisions, adds another shit show to the stockpile of J.R. Smith blunders. Just another example of J.R. being J.R. And you can always count on Rollo being Rollo, always devising plans that go left with his friend Lamont usually there to take the hit with him. Like the time he talked Lamont into going to an audition for a role in a movie, which was actually a pornographic film. And by the time they realize it, the cops rush in and arrest him, Lamont, and Fred, who followed them to the audition. And just like J.R. Smith, Rollo shows his appreciation for the cannabis himself. When Lamont discovers that the plants in his father's garden aren't wild parsley plants, but marijuana plants, he wants to get rid of it before the cops find out. Rollo is adamant that he can help him get rid of it by smoking it all. And no matter what, J.R. Smith and Rollo Lawson never had a problem getting with the ladies. Rollo usually has a date set up, not just for himself, but a date for his homie Lamont too. And J.R., who's now a married man, has dated some high-profile celebrities earlier in his career, 
like Solange, K. Michelle, and even Rihanna. But hey, ladies love JR and ladies love Rallo, checkered past and all. Both are unfazable. Reminding Rallo of his days in jail doesn't bother him at all. He's got parties to go to and new women to meet. Booing J.R. Smith for going 0 for 12 doesn't move him one bit because he'll shoot 12 more as if he's on a hot streak. J.R. Smith and Rollo Lawson were both fortunate enough to find a good friend that accepted them for who they were, flaws and all. LeBron James knew that J.R. Smith would be a great addition to make a championship run, and he was. He also knew that he had to keep a tab on him just in case. And Lamont Sanford knew that Rollo Lawson was a great friend, regardless of what his dad said. He also knew that he had to be skeptical at times when it came to Rollo's schemes, as they could lead him to jail or the casting couch for a skin flick. And that was across the lines, dummy. He is Rollo Lawson, the greatest manager to grace the planet, in whose hands we place our lives, our careers, and our fortunes. We will never forsake his teachings for silver or gold. He knows what's best for us. Today in entertainment history, in 1978, the film Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band, based on the Beatles album of the same name, premieres in New York City. And in 1989, the film Do the Right Thing, written, directed, produced, and starring Spike Lee premieres in theaters. In 1990, Pink Floyd's The Wall is performed, where the Berlin Wall once stood. In 1996, The Daily Show, hosted by Craig Kilborn, premieres on Comedy Central in the United States. And who would have thought, 23 years later, still standing strong. In 2014, Guardians of the Galaxy, directed by James Gunn, starring Chris Pratt, Zoe Zaldana, Bradley Cooper, and David Bautista premieres in Hollywood. In 2017, Justin Bieber is barred from performing in China by the Beijing Municipal Bureau of Culture, citing his bad behavior. The bureau stated that in order to maintain order in the Chinese market and purify the Chinese performance environment, it is not suitable to bring in badly behaved entertainers. It's because you don't listen to Over the Culture podcast, Justin, where we talk about vultures like you, Justin. And in 2018, the reboot of TV show Buffy the Vampire Slayer is announced with creator Joss Whedon as executive producer. Yes, children, this is the Cool Out Corner. We're slowing it down for all the lovers in the house. I'll be giving you all the help you need. Musically, that is. Do the right thing, 30th. Well, that's half of a bitch, maybe half of a man. That's half of a can't, well, that's half of a can. And that's half of a can't, well, that's half of a can. Too hot to touch to get open. Too hot to touch to get focused. Too bad for kids get loking. You too dirty, I guess you're soaking. 
I see you searching, looking for another plan. Maybe in this foreign land, I'm back to basics. Where I am, I hear the beats, they trapping. I hear the beats, keep tapping. I hear the beats, I'm lapping. All the MCs that they rapped in. I take you back to basics, two turntables of mic in a basement. I take you back, no tracing, two turntables of mic and I'm facing hard roads and hard times. I ain't looking for the streets, you got niggas with hard minds. Searching for the gold, maybe for a chain, searching for a black bitch, white chicken brain. So we boom the bap and back to boom. All I need is a cat and we give me some rooms. Where I can freestyle over the beat and go crazy. You niggas are dumb and fool gazy. Too hot to touch to get open. Too hot to touch to get focused. Kids. Too bad for kids get loking. You too dirty, I guess you're soaking. Now see we searching, looking for another plan. Maybe in this foreign land. I'm back to basics, is where I am. Peace in the Middle East, peace in the streets. Peace to my cousin, rest six feet deep. Peace to the lost loved ones who deceased. Peace to the young shorties that we must reach. Out to them and teach. Show them how to think. Show them how to live and the proper food to eat. Responsibility is what they all need, right? And more people throwing up more peace signs. Jakuna Matata is a little cliche at this point. It's expected. It's expected, but be prepared. Anytime someone says be prepared, I think of that song. Like, whenever I hear someone say be prepared in real life, Stay ready, so you never had to get Yeah, ready. every time. They had Scar looking sick, man, like he was on that narcotic. Yeah, he didn't look, he, his look, he didn't look like he should be trusted. Like, he didn't look, because in the movie, he's like, he's still acting like he's one of them for like half the movie. He looked like a crackhead of a He lion. looked like, what the fuck, like, get away from me. Like, what, is he eating the same fucking meat as well? Like, maybe it's done on purpose because like, just like people, you can't trust crackheads. So maybe Scar is that crackhead uncle that you can't trust or like you don't want your kids around. And you know, Mufasa, he was always like, hey, don't don't want, I don't want you going out, like squandering away. That's the word squander. Yes. That, that sounds like a old thing. No, no, people are still squandering shit. Yeah, I don't want you squandering your little cub ass around because you know you got a crazy uncle. Again, I liked, uh, what, how do you say his name, man? Now this portion of the show is where we show appreciation to our haters. Hi haters. I hate you. I hate you. I don't even know you and I hate your guts. I hate your guts. According to the Washington Post, Sheriff's Deputy Alan Gaston thought they were on the same side. One man, Gaston, was a high-ranking officer in the Lucas County, Ohio Sheriff's Department with 34 years of experience. The other was a security guard contracted to protect an internal revenue service office in Toledo. But then the guard pulled his gun. He raised his voice. He put a hand on Gaston's arm and rested his finger on the trigger. In a matter of seconds, what began with a routine errand at the IRS escalated into a frightening standoff between a white security guard and a black police officer who said he heard hate in the guard shouts and believed he would be shot. You don't expect to be ambushed by someone who you think is on the same team, Gaston told the Washington Post. I feel there was definitely some racial overtones involved, and I'm not the type of person to throw the race card. I'm just telling you the facts. I looked in his eyes and I saw hate in his eyes. Gaston had stopped by the IRS office during his shift on May 31st to ask a question about a letter the agency sent him. 
He was in full uniform, his badge and his firearm in clear view. The security guard, identified in court documents as Seth Eklund, asked Gaston to leave his gun in his patrol car. When Gaston replied he couldn't do that, he said Eklund became hostile. Eklund accused Gaston of reaching for his weapon, shouting, get your hands off your gun, even though Gaston said his hands were visible and nowhere near his holster. Gaston, who has years of experience teaching defensive tactics, decided it was time for him to leave. He recalled a wide-eyed elderly couple in the office waiting room watching the exchange, and he said he feared for the bystander's safety. Gaston turned to go. As he walked out of the cramped office, Eklund drew his gun, trained it on Gaston's back, and followed him. At one point, Gaston said Eklund tried to arrest the uniformed officer. He came around the corner with his weapon out, telling, You had your chance. You're not going anywhere. I'm detaining you, Gaston said. That's when I was preparing myself to be shot. The hate and anger he had against me, I was getting ready to be shot by the security guard for no reason. Eklund, who could not be reached for comment, pleaded not guilty to one charge of aggravated menacing in a court appearance on Monday. Gaston and his wife have also filed a lawsuit against Eklund and the two security firms that apparently employed him. Representatives of those companies, Paragon Systems and Praetorian Shield, did not respond to requests for comment. The IRS declined to comment. The news station WTBG published what it claims to be security camera footage of the interaction, and the Post obtained screenshots of the video. The images show Gaston backing away and attempting to leave the building in an elevator, but Eklund, gun still drawn, blocks the door with his foot. Gaston says he felt cornered, scared. He took out his phone to take a picture of Eklund, he said, and the security guard finally holstered his weapon. Heather Taylor, president of the Ethical Society of Police in St. Louis, said in an interview that Eklund behaved recklessly and probably would not have treated a white officer the same way. We know what it's like being an African-American police officer in a city, Taylor said. A lot of us realize that, hey, even though you're in a uniform, that doesn't mean you're safe. The tense scene recalled other incidents with grisly endings. Taylor pointed to the case of Jamel Robertson, a black security guard who was killed by a Midlothian, Illinois police officer while they both responded to a shooting at the bar where Robertson worked. She also mentioned Prince George's County's detective, Ja'Kai Colson, who was killed by a fellow officer while working undercover. Colson, according to a lawsuit, had his badge in his hand, shouting, police, police, before he was killed. You're not given the benefit of the doubt as a minority, Taylor said. It's something we've been highlighting forever, and now here's another example of it. She applauded Gaston's cool demeanor in the face of what she said was potentially lethal bigotry. Gaston said he didn't feel that Eklund respected him as a law enforcement officer and that in more than three decades of police work, he has never dealt with anything like that. Gaston was diagnosed with post-traumatic stress disorder and severe depression, he said. He has been on medical leave and is seeing a counselor twice a week. The civil suit Gaston and his wife filed seeks compensation. The standoff between Gaston and Eklund ended, he said, when Toledo police officers responded to a 911 call from inside the building that mentioned a man who has got a gun and won't leave. The caller didn't mention that the man was a police officer. When Toledo police arrived, Gaston recounted, they told Eklund, you know he's a uniformed deputy sheriff, right? We can go anywhere in this building we want. Now, I, I want to start off by saying to Alan Gaston, the one who's actually the cop, brother, 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 you say you're not quick to pull out the race card? Well, you better be, because these Trump tars are showing their ass Totally. You better be ready to pull out the jack, the queen, the king, 
the Joker, the race of spades, goddammit. And it shows you that no matter what, with or without this badge, a lot of them still look at you as a nigga. And maybe this is your wake-up call. Maybe this is your awakening. Maybe you needed this. Unfortunately, you had to come to a gun being drawn on you. But this is a clear indication that it doesn't matter what your job is. It doesn't matter what title you hold. It doesn't matter what the name says on that badge. It doesn't matter what kind of badge you have. If you're black or brown, you're going to have people out here who are still going to look at you as their enemy. Whether you have good intentions in your heart or not. It's hard for me to have sympathy for a cop especially a black cop, because usually y'all are the worst. My experiences with black cops aren't great. But let's say Alan Gaston is one of the good black cops. Okay, you still got reminded that you're not on the same team. You really think y'all are on the same team? You're an actual cop. He was a security officer for an IRS office who overstepped his lines of jurisdiction. It's 2019 and we have seen kids get shot by officers for having water pistols. Uh, we've seen civilians getting strangled to death in clear, broad daylight for selling cigarettes. And here we are, Seth Eklund, age 33, pulling a gun on an actual police officer. Still alive, still showing his ugly face. What's the worst thing that's going to happen? Oh, he's getting taken to court. And what's next? What's his defense? Oh, I, I, I'm not racist. I'm a security officer. I was just doing my job. I have a black friend named Jim. You see, you can look, look up my Facebook. Get the fuck out of here. Like, who the fuck do you think you are, Seth Eklund? You pulled a gun on an actual police officer. Like, what were you thinking? Oh, you're a white man who felt threatened. The ultimate Trump card. I get it. Your life was in danger. You had to protect the IRS office from a police officer. I mean, I, I know what it's like to feel apprehensive when you're around police, but I never thought to pull a gun out on them because I fucking know better. I'm also a black man. But good old Seth Eklund, he thinks nothing of it to pull a gun on a fucking cop in an IRS office in the middle of the summer. Seth Eklund is 33, and Alan Gaston has been a police officer as long as that man has been alive. So, Alan Gaston, you've been alive clearly longer than me and longer than Seth, and you think you two are on the same team? Your job is to serve and protect the law protect citizens, to protect the civilians. Meanwhile, Seth, he's on another team of tiki tortures, of red MAGA hats who watch Fox News and Dog the Bounty Hunter. Seth Eklund, he pleaded not guilty to an aggravated menacing charge and the crime could become a fifth degree felony if the defendant is an officer or an employee of Child Protective Services. And it's going to be interesting what the outcome will be, because I wouldn't be surprised if he got off scot-free. Um, even though he pulled a gun out on a police officer, he followed the police officer down the elevator and out to his car with the gun still drawn on him. But hey, he's got the Trump card. 
fuck the race card, the trump card is winning everything. A white man who was endangered, who felt his life was threatened. And that should be all he needs. And usually I like it when cops get fucked with. This time, not so much. Even though I kind of do. But I don't. But I do. Seth Eklund. Thank you. For Alan Gasting to wake the fuck up, maybe. Possibly. And maybe he can just do his job like he was supposed to do. If he wasn't already. And maybe he can be one of those black cops that don't fuck with other people just for the sake of fucking with people because he got fucked with thank the both of you fuck the both of you let me tell you the story of the right hand left hand it's a tale of good and evil hate it was with this hand that Cain iced his brother love these fingers, they go straight to the soul of man. The right hand, the hand of love. The story of life is this, static. One hand is always fighting the other hand, and the left hand is kicking much ass. I mean, it looks like the right hand, love is finished. But hold on, stop the presses. The right hand is coming back. Yeah, he got the left hand on the ropes. Now that's right. Ooh, it's a devastating right. And hate is hurt. He's down. Left hand. Hate. KO'd by love. Do the right thing, 30th anniversary. That wraps up this week's edition of Over the Culture Podcast. Hope you enjoyed it. Thank all four of you for listening. If I pissed off any fans of Laura Winslow, good. It's been three months since I've had my last alcoholic beverage, and I'm fine with that. All summer, it's been slushes over alcohol, slushes over luscious, smoothies over boozies. Plus, I don't want to get a DUI. I don't want to get pulled over by the Alan Gassons of the world. No. Y'all be cool. Martin Lawrence, Steve White, Roger Guinevere Smith, Rosie Perez, Samuel L. Jackson, Rick Aiello, Joy Lee, Robin Harris, Rest in Power, Frankie Faison, Paul Benjamin, John Turturro, Bill Nunn, Rest in Power, Giancarlo Esposito, Richard Edson, Ruby D. and Ozzie Davis, Rest in Power, Danny Aiello, and of course, Spike Lee. Thank you for being for the culture. You've always been for the culture. You've always been for your people, Spike. We love you, baby. Do the right thing, 30th anniversary.